Father, we pray that you will uh, indeed give us pure hearts. Help us understand more about uh, what it means to be pure in heart. Let your word speak to us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. What does it mean to be pure in heart? To be, to be holy, to be righteous, to be in right relationship with God. I mean, those are questions that we'll find numerous answers to. You have ideas, I have ideas. I would suspect that to one degree or another, everybody has some idea of what it means to be acceptable to God, to be in right relationship with God. And people have had all kinds of ideas about those questions, I guess, since human beings have existed. They are are questions that are important, and, and they're questions that we talk about. And they're questions that that Jesus comes to answer. And there is in this seventh chapter of Mark's gospel, one encounter in which Jesus gives us a glimpse, a slice of the pie of what it means to be pure in heart. And interestingly enough, it's a lesson, it's an encounter that, that begins with a discussion about Hand washing. Now, I don't know what your perspective is on hand washing. If you're one of those people who, you know, always carry something in your pocket to rub your hands off. If you, know, if you scrub for two minutes or if you do quick hand washing, it probably maybe that depends on your age. You know, if you're a child, maybe you don't wash as much. But, you know, I'm intrigued by that. I, I'm intrigued at sort of the progression that we've seen in our own culture and society about, about what we think about hand washing. You know, as a child, you know, you'd, you'd go up to the table and my mom would say, do you wash your hands? Yeah, let me see. More likely, she'd send me back to do it again. You know, it just wasn't quite as important as she thought it was. It wasn't as important to me. I had, I had a biology teacher in high school who had, was obsessive about washing his hands. You know, biology classroom, you had one of those uh, tables up front with the sink in it and gooseneck faucet. And he, he washed his hands over and over again during one class period. If he touched the chalk, he washed his hands. If he touched a piece of paper or pen, he washed his hands. If he touched the desk, he washed his hands. Walking around, he washed his hands. It, we got so some of us, we would we'd count the number of times that he washed his hands and we'd graft it. You know? and biology was not my thing, but that got me through that class, just thinking, I wonder how many times today he's going to wash his hands. You know, it's this obsessive kind of kind of mindset. I, I, I'm kind of in, sort of intrigued and a little bit concerned about the, the signs that you find in, in restrooms, you know, addressed to the employees who work in that restaurant or that store, you know, make sure you wash your hands before you go back to work. And I'm thinking, shouldn't they know that? Uh, if we have to tell them that, should they be in the food industry at all? I mean, should they be, really be working with food? And, and we have all these kinds of, of ideas and thoughts about hand-washing, and some people, again, can be very obsessive about it. But you think of the most obsessive person you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure they don't come close to the obsessive hand-washing 
rituals that we find in among the many of the Jews in first century Palestine. And for them, they had these rigid rules about that they had to wash their hands and do it a certain way before every meal and even between courses in a meal. And usually it took three, it had three stages to it. They, they pointed their hands up and they poured water down over their hand to the wrist. And then once the hands were wet, they would rub their palms in each of the hands for a certain amount of time. And then they would tilt their hands down and, and pour the water back over it to kind of wash off what they had worked loose. And until you did that, your hands were not clean. Now, I understand this is not about so much about hygiene as it is about religious ritual. The scribes, particularly when the Pharisees joined them, the, the, their mindset was that the, 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 the commands of God in Scripture are too vague. Uh, we've we've got to make them. We've got to make them more precise. We've got to define them more clearly. And so, they spent centuries defining the commands of God, writing them down eventually. But for a long time, it was oral tradition. Until they came up with thousands and thousands of laws and rules about how you obey the commands of God. And eventually, those rules and regulations actually became more important to them than Scripture. Scripture was put on the shelf. They lived by these rules and regulations. But they didn't just create the rules, they enforced them. And so on this day, the Pharisees and the scribes show up where Jesus is teaching because they've heard about him. They've heard about the things that he's been doing and they want to make sure he's doing them right. And so they come to Jesus And they sit and they listen. Now, here you have, here you have this, this, uh, Jesus is coming, he's healing the sick. He's setting people free from demonic powers. He's teaching them the word. He's drawing people into the kingdom. All of these great things are happening. And here come the religious people. And you'd expect them to say, Jesus, this is phenomenal. This is so great. Look at all the people who are being helped and healed and and lives are being transformed. Praise God. But they don't say that. They see all the things Jesus is doing. They see all the lives that are being touched. They watch what's going on. And they say to you, yeah, 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 it's wonderful, it's wonderful. The real thing is your disciples aren't washing their hands right. And we listen to that and we say, man, how, how crazy can they be? And then we take a look inside of ourselves. It's great that people are coming to Christ, we say. That lives are being transformed, that the burdens are being lifted and families are being restored and the despairing are finding hope and the church is growing. But... Are you following the right traditions of the church to get there? Are you singing the right hymns? Are you doing the right things in worship? How long is this really going to last if you aren't tied into up-to-date technology? It's all surface change if you don't teach people the right kinds of songs to sing and the right way to worship. It's all surface change if you aren't on the cutting edge of drama and music. If they aren't praying at least a half an hour a day and reading the scriptures at least a half an hour a day, are they really changed? 
And Jesus says to us, as he says to them, you hypocrites. You say God's important to you. You say that it's wonderful that, that, that people are coming to him, but you don't really mean that. Because too often, like the religious leaders in this encounter, we're more concerned about doing things right than about doing right things. A person's relationship with God, a person's righteousness and holiness is not measured by doing things right. Jesus says it's about doing the right things. It's about having the right heart. A lot of it has to do with how you treat people. What comes out of you in your encounters with people? That tells you about whether you're in right relationship with God or not. But so often the rules and the regulations get in the way. I remember when I was uh, a child, we used to go to camp meeting all the time. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of fun. We had, you know, I got to see friends. We played a lot. Had a nice big grounds there. And the services were a little long and there were a lot of them. But, you know, as a child, it was like, wow, you know. But uh, it was good and I enjoyed it. As I got older, I began to realize that my parents didn't quite enjoy it as much as I did as a child. And I came to understand why. I had not really realized as a child that that where we lived, that, that particular part of the church was was really a bastion of of radical conservatism. And 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 people live with a lot of rules and regulations about what you could and couldn't do. And as the nineteen seventies came upon us, my parents became began to get more progressive in their mindset. And the more progressive they lived the more they were ostracized at that camp. They ostracized because they were saying Jesus isn't divine or they were denying the authority of the scriptures or, or they were saying that God isn't the creator. No. They were being ostracized and, and, and they were being pushed out and they were being mistreated because my dad wore colored shirts and wide ties had long sideburns. My mom cut her hair and they wore wedding rings. And I remember it, it dawning on me as a child, that can't be what Jesus is about. That Jesus is more concerned about those kinds of things than he is about love and about acceptance. And I'm sure that they were good people that meant well, but everything got turned upside down because the rules became more important than what came out of their lives. And no wonder Jesus says, you hypocrites who honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You worship God in vain. You follow rules taught by people, but you let go of my word. You hold to the traditions but you don't think much at all about my commands. And I imagine that they, like us, might step back in astonishment and say, what are you talking about? We don't do that. You're crazy. And Jesus says, really? Okay. Here's an example. How about the way you treat your parents? Scripture is very clear. The Ten Commandments. One of the big ten. Honor your father and mother. Take care of them. Watch over them. 
And you say that if someone pledges whatever support they would have given to take care of their parents, if they pledge that support to the temple, they don't have to take care of their parents anymore. If it takes the rest of your life to pay that pledge, you're free. If you never pay it, you're free. If you make the pledge, you don't have to worry a thing about your parents. And Jesus, I think, looked at them in astonishment and said, don't you get it? You've completely thrown out one of the key commands of God because you found some loophole in your tradition. Now, Jesus is not just rejecting human tradition or human ideas about how we, are, how we live and grow as followers of God. These things can be tools to help us draw closer to Christ. You know, for instance, we appreciate the beauty and the symmetry of the ancient creeds. And we're helped and encouraged by participating in, in the various seasons of the church year. Our souls are stirred by the hymns of Isaac Watts and, and Charles Wesley or, or by the contemporary hymns, hymns of, of Graham Kendrick and Keith and Kristen Getty. And I suspect that most of the traditions of the Jews began as a good idea, as something to help them. And eventually what began as something to help them obey God's command became the command. And if we use anything like that as a measuring stick for spirituality, we're in trouble. One of the memories I have in my mind is as a family watching President Richard Nixon's first inauguration in 1969. You know, I'm pretty sure it was a black and white television. I don't think we had color until later on. But we, I remember watching that take place. And I don't remember a lot about the procession or the oath of office or, you know, what was involved. But I do remember that Billy Graham prayed. You know, my parents liked Billy Graham. They'd been to one of his crusades. And I had very fond feelings for Billy Graham. I thought he was a, a great man, a spiritual man. I thought that, you know, he was a great representative of the church, even though I was nine years old at the time. I had positive feelings about him. Until I realized that day that he was praying from a written prayer. That was it. He was done. I, mean, I, I had this mindset that if you were really a Christian, you couldn't pray like that. You had to pray extemporaneously. That was the only thing God listened to. And if you prayed a written prayer, you know, something's wrong with you spiritually. Now, I've since matured about that thinking. But you see what happens. We, we so easily slide into to these perspectives by which we judge people and we judge what's spiritual and what's not. And it doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus says. And so if someone is still wrestling, getting their language under control, we question whether they're really that committed to Christ. If someone believes in just war, we wonder if they're really as committed a Christian as we thought they were. If someone attends a church with high liturgy, we wonder if they can really be a believer. If someone attends a church where everything is spontaneous, we wonder if they can really be a believer. If someone's a, a Republican, we wonder about their faith. Or if someone's a Democrat, we wonder about their faith. 
Have I offended everybody there? You know, we use all of these things to measure spirituality. And Jesus is saying, stop. It's not about any of that. Are those things important? Yes, they have their place. But you can't judge a person's spirituality by any of those things. It's what's in their heart and what comes out of their heart. And so we ought to be more concerned about the condition of our hearts than anything else. When you get to the end of, near the end of this encounter, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and, and they say to him, Jesus, we don't really understand what you're talking about. We don't get this. And, and Jesus, you, I would think Jesus would say to them, hey, it's okay, guys. I know it's, it's kind of a tough thing to understand. Let me explain it to you. Or this is pretty deep stuff, I know, so let, let's talk about it. He doesn't. He says, are you guys so dull? What is wrong with you? How long have we been together? How much have I taught you? You still don't get it? Someone said to me, I guess sarcasm isn't a sin. At least if you're right. And I suspect it's one of those moments when, when Jesus wants to throw up his hands and say, Father, this is what I have to work with? This is the cream of the crop? You want your kingdom built with these guys? Come on. I think Jesus is serious with them and saying, look, you ought to be getting this by now. This should be getting through to you. You've been with me long enough. You know enough. You've experienced enough. You've seen enough. It ought to be, it ought to be getting into you by now, at least somewhat. And I think he's very disappointed that it doesn't. And what a word for many of us who have been believers a long time. I think Jesus is saying to us, you ought to have it by now. You ought to at least be able to understand what's right and what's not, even if it's difficult to keep it, to practice it. You shouldn't be tied up with these things. You've walked with me long enough. You've, you've been to enough worship services. You've read the scriptures enough. You've been around long enough that you ought not to be trapped by these things like you are. It's sort of like the Super Bowl later today. You know, these both of the players on, on both teams have had hundreds of practices and, and tons of games and, and, and more practices and more games. And, and this they get to the last game of the season. And I guarantee you, every coach will be disappointed if even the newest player on the team is still making rookie mistakes. And if they do, you'll hear about it from the announcers. Years ago, when I was just starting out in ministry, I had a wise church leader say to me, you know, there are two kinds of pastors. There are pastors who have 30 years of experience, and there are pastors that have three years of experience ten times. You know, this one is growing and learning and moving forward, and this one gets three years stuff done and says, I'll move to the next place and do it again. You know, when Paul talks, in, talks about Christians needing to be sensitive to weak Christians, he's not implying that being a weak Christian is a good thing. That's not the goal we're shooting for. We shouldn't be making 
these kinds of rookie mistakes still. Now, that doesn't imply that people who have been following Christ a long time don't still wrestle with sin, don't still yield to sin's temptation. We're all on the journey. I mean, we all know that. But at some point, some of these things that so easily entangle us shouldn't. We ought to be able to see, you know, that's, that's just human trappings and it helps us, but that's over here. This is what's really important. It's not about those rules and regulations that we get so wrapped up in. It's what's in our hearts and what's coming out of our lives. And we so easily forget that God is more concerned about greed than about whether we have the right music in worship. God is far more concerned about hatred in our hearts than our ability to understand and follow the the traditions of the church. God is far more concerned about our feelings of envy and our slanderous words than whether we read prayers or offer them extemporaneously. God is far more concerned about sexual promiscuity and lustful thoughts than he is about whether we use an organ or drums in worship. God's far more concerned about our lies and about our arrogance than he is about our particular view of the end times. And again, these things have value for us and they can be helpful for us, but only if they remain on the periphery of what is central and most important. And you know, eventually, the most damaging result of all of this emphasis on human rules is that we come to the place where we tend to approach Christ and worship and and people with a judgmental spirit rather than a spirit of honesty and openness. You know, we come to worship judging what's done and how it's done instead of coming to worship with a heart open and ready for whatever God wants to do in whatever way he wants to do it. The scribes and the Pharisees come all the way from Jerusalem to see Jesus. This could have been one of the most monumental, life-changing experiences that they would have ever had. But because they're so wrapped up in rules and regulations, all they can do is criticize and judge. And they walk away making one more plan about how to eliminate Jesus. How many moments do we miss? How many times do we miss the Spirit because we're more concerned about doing things the right way instead of doing right things? It's a lot easier to be good when we can judge, feel good about ourselves when we judge other people. We're trained to think more about laws than than about uh, Christ. We get tied up about rules and regulations when all the while God is saying, I want you to work in your heart. May God give us hearts that want Him more than anything else. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for what You've done and what You're doing. Lord, we pray that uh, you'll help us to have hearts that are open and receptive to you. 
Father, we pray your, your healing touch here in this moment. We ask, Father, that, um, that you will make yourself known to us and you'll change us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.